right. Welcome back to Building a Fighter. My name is Dr. Austin Shane, sports chiropractor in Scottsdale, Arizona. With me, as always, badass strength coach in Denver, Colorado, Alex Friedman. What's up, Alex? Oh, not a whole lot. Just getting my Sunday started. It snowed a little bit here. So I think this is our our last big snowfall of the year. So I like when snow's on the ground. Yeah, we got a shovel and shit. Yeah, well, that'll be this afternoon's Alex problem. (laughs) Uh, Down in the sunshine, worst you got to worry about is dust. What? (laughs) Is dust a big problem in Arizona? Dude, they have these things called um, haboobs. That's, That's what the name for a dust storm is. Dude, it's fucking crazy. I've had to pull off to the side of the road. Because there's a dust storm going in like uh like a July. It's fucking crazy. But anyways, we're not talking about haboobs on this podcast. What we are talking about is Relentless by Tim Grover. So we're gonna do our second iteration of our book club. Um, it was a book I picked. Uh it was recommended to me. I've read it in the past actually, but it was recommended to me by um Luke Sanders, who was in the UFC. Now he's a coach out in South Carolina, but it I liked it. I liked it a lot. Um, it's a book based around Tim Grover's life um, and what he thinks you should, how, or I guess how he thinks you should train your athletes and kind of almost like a, a, a retrospective study on working with these top tier athletes. He was, so Tim Grover is a trainer. He worked with Michael Jordan, worked with Kobe Bryant, Dwayne Wade, um, basically all the who's who of basketball. That's, that's him. And he's based out of Chicago and kind of came from nothing, like came from an immigrant family, uh, worked his way up. He wanted to go into strength and conditioning, kept pestering the bulls saying that, Hey, you guys should get into this before strength and conditioning was cool. And that was his intro. He finally pestered them enough that they brought him in. He met with Michael and they just were a match made in heaven. And that's where everything just took off to the sky. Um, But realistically, what I, what I think this book did well and I'll get this out of the way first. Me and Alex disagree on this book um, a lot. I like this book a lot. Uh, I think it preaches to the high performers in the room. I think it is a niche book that is extremely useful for the 1%. And I think it it allows you to get your minds. And it's it's actually helped me a lot with how I collect myself and how I organize my thoughts in order to move forward and be successful. And, and it's allowed me to, when I take notes, like when we're waking our course right now, when I take my notes on my course, I literally use the framework of this is how I should think. This is what I need, the effort I need to put in. This is how I should be a cleaner, which is one of the three major categories that Tim Grover talks about. And this is what it takes to be a cleaner, the work I need, right? So with this book, the three main topics that are the three main categories that he talks about is one is a cooler Those are going to be your good athletes or your good at whatever it is. It's not just athletes. You're going to then have your closers who those are typically the people that show up when the lights are on. Those are going to be the people that aren't always there during the middle of the game. But if you need a big shot, you you can go to them and they'll make it here and there. And then you have your cleaners. Those are the elite of the elite. Those are the guys that at any point in time throughout the game, any point in time in life, those are the motherfuckers that have their shit on straight. And they're going to be competing for every single rep, every single basket, every single shot. Those are the cleaners that they don't take time off. They don't just wait for the lights. They're great at all points in time. 
And those are how he kind of categorizes all of the people that he's worked with and all of not just in athletics, but he categorizes that as people in life as well. The people that are good, but they bow out to pressure. Those are going to be the coolers, the people that can handle a little bit of pressure, but they don't always show up. That's going to be your closers. And then the cleaners are the people that are just on their game at all points in time. And they don't want anything else than doing that task in front of them because that's what they were meant to do. Um, and, and that's, it preaches to me because that's how I think that's how I see my athletes a lot. And I don't use those words, but when I, when I try to categorize the people that I work with or the people that I just see in life, those are typically the lenses that I look through. So, but anyways, we'll get into a full in-depth dialogue after this, Alex, how did you like the book? I think the, the book is useful. I think it's useful in a very narrow sense. Um, I think it it fits in that category of like motivational type of um, self-improvement books. And I love the, I mean, me being a meathead and in high performance, like I like the, the intensity that Tim Grover brings to it. I love the, the kind of, you have to be elite and you have to act elite at all times to be on the top type of things. But I think it's very limited in its scope and its use. Like I understand that that's how this or that person operates. And I understand that if you want to be the best in the world, you're turned on 24 seven and you're always ready to go. Um, I get that. But I think as far as reading the book, like if you're a cleaner, you don't need to read that book to become a cleaner. No. And so I think that's, that's one of the hard things was for me to get past was just the, it seemed like at certain points in the book, it was just trying to be super hard, you know, like hard in the sense of being like tough or, you know, tooth and nail and then grind this, grind that. And I liked a lot of the messages um, where I had the problem was, like I said, the narrow scope. And then I don't know, just my personality and stylistically, I really didn't like the packaging of it. Like I, I can go the rest of my life without hearing that voice narrator say cleaners do this and closers do this. Yeah. I'm just like, okay, man, I get it. I get it. And at no point did I ever, actually feel like they gave a very good definition of a cleaner. Like they gave so many different attributes to a cleaner, but like to this day, if you ask me what a cleaner is, I just think, Oh, that's what uh, Tim Gover calls Michael Jordan. Yeah. You know, I think, see, that's, that's where I disagree. I think one of the things that stood out to me when he was talking about cleaners is one of the ways he described it was that a cleaner is the person that feels that when he is in the game, it's on when he's there, it's on, he's on at all points in time. And he's able to, I guess, more or less be able to seem like he should be there. Right. It seems like he's right. It's it's almost like a, when I think about a cleaner, like the puzzle piece, that's the perfect fitting puzzle piece for that point in time. And that moment, that's a cleaner, at least to me. And that's, and he used that analogy of it's like he was made for this. Yeah. And I get it to an extent, like, when you're living and serving your one performance goal, like I feel like that was me when I was in high school, right? I, I, I pretty much lived everything for the state championship my senior year, right? I made all those decisions or whatever. And like, and I didn't maintain that way of thinking uh, because I don't know, that's how it just did, it didn't pan out for me like that. Um, I see where it can be applicable in my professional type of life or it can be applicable for anybody's professional life. And it can help people get into more of a, elite type of mindset. I think that that is a useful piece of the book. But again, I think that's maybe the only useful piece of the book. So that's, that's, I mean, I disagree with that 
And the reason being is I think looking at it through a different lens would help a lot. So when I read it, I, I didn't look at it as a, oh, I need to do this. Oh, I need to do that. I looked at it as a coaching book which is probably different than the normal you like the normal reader, right? Most people reading mm-hmm. it are probably athletes or whatever. But I almost looked at it like a conscious coaching type book, like from Brett Bartholomew, where these are just categories. This is going to allow me to pick up on athletes in these different categories. And this is what I need to do to help them the best way possible. Maybe that's why I liked it so much because I wasn't necessarily doing it as looking at it as a self-improvement lens. I was looking yeah. at it as a, these are skills. It's, this is my diagnostic skill, my characteristic skill. How can I pick up on the qualities of these three different people? And maybe they're not the right categories because there's only three. We know there's more than three categories for athletes, but if I can pick up on these different characteristics, if I, like we were just talking about one of my fighters, like his name's Tommy McMillan. He's a one and O pro, but this kid's a blue chipper. Like that motherfucker's a cleaner. And I knew that from the day I met him. And now I have some tools that I know that I can apply to him to make how I work with him, how I push him, how I do X, Y, and Z better. Some of my athletes are coolers and I, I need to know that. And before I read the book, I was pushing them too hard. Some people just don't want to be pushed that hard, unfortunately. And it sounds terrible to say, but some athletes, they say they want to be a champ, but they don't want to put the work in. And that's for the coach to actually either try to hype them up or they need to establish that and then talk to them about their goals and see what their goals actually are. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree that you can use that's a useful piece of the book as far as learning how to coach your athletes and categorizing them for a worse or better or worse term. Um, but understanding where they're at and how they operate. I just think the the cooler, closer, cleaner model that um Tim Grover presents is insanely narrow. You know, like like you said, like there's a lot more categories and then even what you just said, how like based on how you would coach somebody if they're a cooler or this or that, like I feel like the cooler, closer, cleaner thing only applies to performance on court. And like, and again, it should. That's how he kind of presents it and how he wants it to. If it gives you the idea to coach your different athletes differently or give you a new lens to coach athletes, I think that's a really great outcome from the book. That's not what I got from it though. I got kind of his, you know, lens and, and his way to see things. And like, again, you can pick up a lot of lessons from different people's lenses, but that was not something that I picked up. And that was not really something that I think a lot of people would pick up from the book as far as categorizing the behaviors. And then the other thing for me is with like his definition of cleaner, my definition of cleaner, like so many athletes are so far away from that and not in a sense of like, they'll never get there, but in a sense of, I don't need to try and coach them to be a cleaner right now. Like, cause no. that's not going to work out in anybody's favor. So let's make the small adjustments of what behaviors to change and get into that. And that's where I, I don't know. I, I didn't see a lot of like the digging into the minutia of how do you actually coach somebody into this? Or how do you actually coach somebody um, on a consistent front to change this specific thing? to get there. There was a lot of like, well, just tell them to do this and not that for sure. No, there's, there's, and there is a lot of gray area in the book. I'll concede that point. It's a lot of his, it's a lot of his thought processes. And he's like, this is what I did, but it's not a actual, this is how you help that athlete. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But I would, I mean, I would say that it's, it's better for you to make your own decisions then like, this is how I did this here. And then you get to pick how you apply that skill. Like, this is what worked for Michael Jordan. This is what I did with Kobe. Blah, 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 blah. This, not that. Or Dwayne Wade was mentioned a fuck ton in the book. Yeah. 
And then you just take that. I almost see it as a more, I think where, where we disagree is that I see it on a macro approach and you're seeing it on a, you're using a micro lens, if you will. Does that make sense? Where you're seeing it as you kind of like thought it was going to be a step-by-step or that's what you're looking for. And I saw it as these are just, this is just what he did. I need to pick up the lessons on my own. And then how do I apply that to my athletes? Yeah. But that's also, that's to be fair. That's also how me and you kind of look at different things anyways. (laughs) Right. I mean, to an extent, like, I don't necessarily think that I was looking at it like as a how-to manual. I wasn't trying to read it like that, but the... And I mean, I guess the biggest problem that I'll have with it that I had with it were kind of the aesthetics and the, I don't know, the hard nosed attitude. I get, it seemed like as I was making my way through the book, it seemed more important that he came off as a hard person and as a cleaner himself. Oh, than yeah. no, that's, that's one of the points it, I didn't like. <laughs> yeah. It was like, it was almost like a, a character homage to himself. And yeah. it was like, it was just like, come on, man, I don't have time for this. Um, like I said, I think there's a lot of useful nuggets, little useful lessons in the book. Like, um, some of the things, as far as like every list starts with one, um, that could help, but I think that's also stupid because some lists need to be ordered, but, um, yeah, there's little golden nuggets in there that you can pull out to maybe coach a certain team in a certain place or certain individual athlete of where they're at in their life and career. But like I said, I, I wouldn't adopt it as my type of system, if you will, as far as like the soft skills, like it's just very, I just see it as very narrow and very limited in its scope and approach and talking about like, and again, he can afford to be that because he works with what 10 athletes at the top level of the sport. Like, yeah, yeah. He he works with all cleaners. (laughs) So it's like, so it's an interesting like paradigm of like, you get to see what's at the top or what he perceives to be the top. And then I don't know, that's just kind of where I go from there. Well, how do you feel about the point that he made about cleaners, like the top of the top, there's always going to be a dark side too. Like there's a whole chapter talking about that where right. the, the elite, they need stability on the back end because they're so focused on their one goal. They're so focused on achieving success that there's a dark side behind that. And you see that time right. and time again. <laughs> yeah. there And there's definitely a sacrifice that you need to be able to make to be great at anything. Right. And so I, I do appreciate the dark side. I mean, or like the pain cave or, um, you know, getting in the zone, whatever you call it for yourself. I like the kind of kill predator prey mentality that comes yeah. along with it. Like that, that's obviously appealing, I think, to a lot of athletes in the room. I think it's nonsense, though, the idea that you can't turn it off. You know, I think people are. are I don't know, dude. We see it time I, and time again. I think people are Tiger way Wood, more. John Jones, fucking. Mike Tyson, like, (laughs) like these guys at the top, Michael Jordan, they all have dark sides and they try to turn you. You don't think that Michael Jordan wanted to stop his gambling addiction. You don't think that Tiger Woods wanted to, I mean, wanted to stop not being a family man. Like you don't think John Jones wants to stop doing Coke. (laughs) Like they're tigers. Sometimes Uh, you got to let tigers be tigers. Can't be mad when they bite you. Sure. But I also think there's a time and place for balance and that it's, it's possible to do it all and to be like being a human is so much more dynamic than you have to fit into this no, cookie cutter correct, box correct. Of, of you're an animal and you're just going to apply that to every sense in your life. Like, I don't know. I, I like the dark side and it certainly plays a role. And I, but I think it's nonsense to say that like it's a indistinguishable character that you can't turn off or on. I just, I see it as a trend that if you look at it as a, like just, 
from pure trends time and time again, BJ Penn has a dark side, right? He was the elite of the elite. John Jones, the best fighter on earth, dark side. Right, well, Michael well, Jordan, dark side. Well, let's flip it on you. You know, Max Hollow was just on Joe Rogan. He talks about his passport to crazy land. That's his yeah. dark side, right? For he sure. He turns it on and off. Like For sure. That, like that's, I mean, and Max is an amazing fighter, but he's not John Jones. He's not, he's not the elite. Of, I mean, he's elite, but he's not the best fighter ever. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I feel as though as many examples as you bring up for that point, you can bring up some against it. Like, well, I mean, one where's their Jeter's? Where's Derek Jeter's personal dark side? Where's oh, dude? He's uh, a womanizer, homie. Like, <laughs> I just like, that's one of the main points that he was talking about. Like, Derek Jeter was banging salutes. Mm, whatever. <laughs> I don't know that type of stuff. But see, I just I don't know. I I think it's kind of limited as far as I don't. know. Again, I just think that it serves a purpose, but it doesn't have to be all consuming. I correct. I don't. I don't think like like I said, GSP is a perfect example. I mean, GSPs, don't get me wrong. Like there's some shit that he said about the aliens and shit like that back when he was in the heyday. But like, as far as like a dark side, that dude doesn't really have one. He's an upstanding character of society. What I think I'm saying you is and I, I think have he a... is the exception, not the rule. I think the rule for elite performers, like the, the real cleaners is there's a dark side to them. And I think the exception is the people that don't have it, the people that are able to control it. Well, I think you and I are talking about a little two different things when we talk about the dark side. I think of the dark side as like both a cons- like a competitive spirit and edge. Like, yep. like when you get on the mat with a re- like as a wrestling athlete, like I'm going to score 17 points on this guy and then pin him. And he's going to be embarrassed to ever be on the mat with me. Like that's yeah. a mindset that a lot of wrestlers should have as they go into a For match. Sure. Right. It's 100%. like, it's like that kind of killer mindset. And that's the dark side just as much as you get off the mat. And it's like, I can't think about anything except when I need to train or what, how many pounds I need to lose or whatever. Like that's the dark side as well. When you just continuously exclusively feeding the ambition. Right. And then, like you said, then it extrapolates into your personal life and you think about in your personal life, all right, what can I get an edge at? What can, what excites me more? And what's the next task? It's like, you know, for some people it's drugs, whatever, gambling, this and that, but the dark side has a huge competitive uh, aspect to it as well. Yeah. In my yeah. mind. Yeah. Being able to tap into that is yeah. what allows you to be that elite competitor. But, mm-hmm. but kind of where, where my mind is, is in a lot of these guys that are at the top level, right? Like you said, they focus on that. They focus on, that's all they think about, but they need somebody to something that he says in the book is that's why these top tier athletes, these, these cleaners, they, they crave stability from everybody else around them. They crave the stable partner. And they don't want to, they don't want to cheat on their partner. They don't, they don't want to disappoint them, but they crave that stability in their personal life because they're so erratic when they're not in their place that they're happiest. Like he said, Michael Jordan, when he's on the court, that's when he is the most happy he's ever been. When he's training, when he gets to dominate somebody, that's the most happy he's ever been. And because of that, he's so crazy off. That's why he's so crazy off the court because he doesn't know what to do with all that competitive energy, with all that like. Because if if you can't channel it, guess what? It's going to come out in different ways. And some of the ways are dark. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I see that too. And I can understand, but I don't think it's an exclusive rule. Again, same, I think same point I've made the whole time. Like it doesn't have to be like that. You can have a killer mindset on court, like Steph Curry, you know, like what is he, what's his poison off the court? Like, and again, 
everybody's got their vices. And I feel as though if you just give everybody, every elite athlete this out of like, oh, they have a dark side. So, oh, they're going to do shitty stuff. Oh, shit. You know, it's because they're so good. And that's the only mindset they have. Like, that's bullshit. Like, people know when they're doing the wrong things, you know? Right. So. But what I'm what I was saying is they know they're doing something wrong. I just I just don't think that they care or they do care. But I just don't think that they realistically can. Their value of the rush is more than their value of doing the thing right. Yeah, I get it. But um, maybe that's really what it is. It's the impulsiveness that allows them to be so great on the court, on the mat, in the cage is also what the, the impulse. If you know me, you know, I'm always on the run up early and home late. So having a three hour morning routine isn't really in the cards for me. What is in the cards is AG1. It's a fast way to get vitamins and minerals I need to perform. I first gave AG1 a try because it was, I wanted a single solution that helps support my entire body by filling in nutrient gaps and simplifying my morning routine. Since drinking AG1 daily, I've always felt strong and energized and ready to attack the day. Not only does AG1 deliver my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics, and more, it's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. It's one scoop, mixed in water, once a day, and every day. I know that AG1 is giving my body high-quality nutrition. Every batch of AG1 goes through a rigorous testing process, so you know that it's safe. And AG1 ingredients are sourced for absorption, potency, and nutrition density. AG1 is a supplement that I trust to provide the support my body needs daily, and that's why I'm excited to welcome them as a new partner. Here is your chance to start every day this season with a gift to yourself. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash provengrit. That's drinkag1.com slash provengrit. Check it out. If you know me, you know I'm always on the run up early and home late. So having a three hour morning routine isn't really in the cards for me. What is in the cards is AG1. It's a fast way to get vitamins and minerals I need to perform. I first gave AG1 a try because it was, I wanted a single solution that helps support my entire body by filling in nutrient gaps and simplifying my morning routine. Since drinking AG1 daily, I've always felt strong and energized and ready to attack the day. Not only does AG1 deliver my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics, and more, it's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. It's one scoop, mixed in water, once a day, and every day. I know that AG1 is giving my body high-quality nutrition. Every batch of AG1 goes through a rigorous testing process, so you know that it's safe. And AG1 ingredients are sourced for absorption, potency, and nutrition density. AG1 is a supplement that I trust to provide the support my body needs daily, and that's why I'm excited to welcome them as a new partner. Here is your chance to start every day this season with a gift to yourself. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash provengrit. That's drinkag1.com slash proven grit. Check it out. Is what leads them to dark shit out of the cage, out of the court, out of the ring. Yeah. And then that's a point that he kind of extrapolates on in the book and talking about um, looking for the next challenge or the next introduction of 
um, like danger, if you will. But I think it's important to realize that some of your training habits and behaviors flood into the rest of your life. Um, I think that's an undeniable point. You know, how you do one thing is often how you do many things. That's not a secret in itself. I don't always think it has to manifest as, as a dark side though. I think it can manifest in, in something else or a different ambition. Um, you know, I was already playing baseball. That's probably all that was, was I needed a new challenge, something else that I think I can be good at, you know, well, he was kicked out of the league for some shit. So <laughs> there you go. So anyway, but um, one thing he does talk about is getting in the zone, right? That's, that's something he, that's a whole chapter in the book is finding your zone. What is the zone? How do you, is, is the zone just an emotion? Like, is it, is it finding peace on the court X, Y, and Z people talk about yeah. a flow state and fighting all the time. Yeah. And something that I like about, about him, because I've felt it before when I, when I was in the zone on the mat, I felt like I could do nothing wrong is that like everything stands still. Like you don't hear your coaches, you don't hear the crowd, you don't hear anything and you're just fucking moving and you feel like everything you do is golden. Yeah. And, and that's, that's that feeling that people, that's almost like that. It's like that, the high that people chase, Yeah. like that's, that's what cleaners do so well. If we're following the, the book along is that every time they step on the court, they get that flow, they get that zone. And that's what we can see that correlation in MMA too. Like um, we just, this is at the end of this podcast is aired after the Colby Covington and Jorge Masvidal fight. And one fight that really stood out to me was Jalen Turner against Jamie Malarkey. Jalen Turner, Jalen Turner was in the fucking zone. Anything he couldn't miss. That motherfucker couldn't miss. He looked so relaxed in there. The -hmm. head kicks that he landed, the elbows, the the finishing sequence that he had, that dude couldn't miss. And it was all from a completely relaxed state. That's the zone I'm talking about. And that's that like golden feeling. And you can tell that everything else slowed down around him. And the biggest thing is how do you find that? How are you able to get to that? Exactly. How are you, how are you able to bring those feelings up and, and do that time and time again? That's what makes the greats is being able to find your trigger to get into the zone. And that's what Tim talks about a bunch in the book is trying to find your trigger. He said with like it, he said with there, I have a quote right here that I wrote down said in the zone, your only emotion is anger. That was from Michael. When he was in the zone, the only thing he felt was somebody would piss him off. And he needed, if he was pissed off, he was going to come right back at that dude. And he was going to go, go, go until he dominated that person. And then the anger would go away. And then somebody else would do something. He might just like accidentally step on his toe. And he's like, oh, that motherfucker's getting it now. And Mm -hmm. he'd point at that motherfucker and he'd go at him until he dominated that guy. And I don't think that's where I disagree. I think a lot of different emotions, a lot of different feelings can lead you to that zone. And I think you should be able to find what your triggers are. But if you don't do an in-depth dive into what your triggers are and into what you're able to accomplish, what you're able to set yourself into the zone, get to that mental state, then you're, you're kind of just wasting time. You're not able to progress because you should be able to turn that on and off. Like you said, Max Holloway, Passport to Crazy Town. Mm-hmm. He knows what his triggers are. He can stamp that fucking passport anytime he wants. Yeah. And so that's, again, that's where I kind of get in the weeds with it. Like um, each person has their own individual kind of recipe for getting into the zone. Right. And they, the thing that sets the cleaners apart in this is their ability to repeat that and get into that zone as often as frequently as possible. 
you know, when's the, like, you know, when Connor was on his title run, like he was in the zone every fight and he had something positive going or some type of momentum or like them, the mystic Mac, right. You just, things just fall his way, you know? And, uh, it's because he could repeatedly tap into whatever energy he was thriving off of. And I think everybody's got an individual recipe for that. Um, and I think that's really fun about like, what you see, you get to see about fighting is, um, each individual person's process and where they're at and where I've gotten into some debates with coaches and I don't really know the answer to this, but do you want to bring awareness to the athlete about like, this is how and why, and what works for you to get in the zone or do you just let the animals be animals, right? Do you just let them have the recipe and then act on it instinctually and be who they are? Versus like, do you bring awareness? And I think it's, again, individualized to different athletes. But I think sometimes we can get in the weeds of like telling the athlete too much about themselves and their process where that gets in their head too a lot versus just letting them go, letting them capitalize and be who they are instinctually, I guess. So what's your opinion on that then? Um, What do you think you should do? Depends on each athlete in front of you. I think some athletes need to know or want to know. They're hungry for that self-awareness and changing that. And I think some other athletes don't want to know and don't need to know. They just need to be, they just mm-hmm. need to go and be themselves. And they've nailed down that process. There comes a time, I think when the athlete that is kind of flying on instincts and not aware that they need to become aware um, yeah. and learn what works for them or, or not necessarily what, but why it works for them and how they can find that in different aspects of their life too. But when you're riding the wave and things are, staying high, I think then you can get away with a little less explanation, a little bit more consistent, just go with it. No, I feel that too. I, and that's, that's actually where I'm at as well. That's, I had a talk with a mental coach recently. Um, that's working with some of my NFL guys. And he was talking about setting like intentions and, and doing X, Y, and Z. But one thing that stood out when I, when I had this talk with him and he's like, I don't bring up any, I don't try to bring up how to get into the zone with my athletes, unless something negative is happening. Like if they're riding a high, if they're on a streak, if they're having like the best three game series of their life, I ain't saying shit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you don't bring that up to them. You just let you let them do their thing because they they found their zone. It's when they start, it's when something goes awry. That's when you have to, that's where the coaches, that's where being a good coach comes in, understanding what this athlete's triggers are. And then when you need to reset everything, say something goes on, maybe they're in a slump or whatever, you know what their triggers are. You bring awareness to it. You make them conscious of what this is, and then you try to get them back into their zone, and then you let them do their thing again. But if you bring them their awareness to that, exactly what you said, I think that's going to lead to people overthinking when they step onto the court, into the into the ring, into the cage. And I don't, I don't want my athletes thinking when they get in there. I want them right. just acting. No, uh, and I totally agree. And I think it, it's a, a sense of like, and I kind of again look through analogies of my own life, but it takes you out of like out of the the pilot seat and into like the uh, flight control yep. stand or whatever. Yep. Like, like when I write my, when I wrote my thesis, I wrote a good portion of it from me as a wrestling standpoint. And then I wrote the second half from me as a coach researcher standpoint. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's like when you're in it, 
be in it. And if it's being successful, like stay in there, right? Then once negative things happen or once a change needs to be made or whatever, then you can take a step back and turn into that um, researcher, that you know, professor that's trying to change the things and learn more about it. So uh, I think there's a role and a time and place for each of those. And I think that's the skill of a coach is to know when the, the time and place to um, give what intervention is. Yeah, I, I like where um, Tim Grover would say, just be a cleaner all the time. Well, and bringing that up, I, I like, I do, there was a quote I really liked and I, I made sure to write it down. Um, and it's kind of how I, I try to prep my athletes even before this, but he was talking about his cleaners, your favorite thing. Um, but he's talking about the mindset at, with which they have for big games or big events or whatever it may be. And how do you deal with nervousness? Like, how do you deal with nerves and X, Y, and Z? And he's like, in every single one of my, his quote unquote cleaners, which is what I'll use since you hate that categorization. He said, each one of them, if they, he was asked the question, the quote was, if I'm feeling nervous, how the fuck are they feeling? They have to deal with me. <laughs> yeah. And I, and I like that quote. I actually, I love that quote because that's exactly, you should be, that's what you should be thinking as a high performer. That's, that's where I like the cleaner mentality. I like the, the high performer, the, the thirst for competition that these guys have. And that's, that's something that I wish more athletes could learn. And I don't know if that's a teachable skill. I really don't. Yeah. Um, maybe it is, maybe it isn't depending on the right sports psych or mental coach, whatever it may be. But if you can get your athletes thinking that they're the dude that the other people have to deal with, not the other way around or other way around their entire camp switches, right? Yeah. We see this all the time with MMA athletes, where if we're game planning, right, a game plan has to happen. It does. We need to sit down. We need to watch film. We need to know what that guy's good at and what that guy's bad at. And how do we fill in, avoid what they're good at and try to fill in the gaps and try to hit them where, where it hurts. But if we start thinking about the other guy too much, if we start thinking about that dude's skills way too much, then we're actually going to stop doing what we do well. We're just going to avoid what they do best. And that's where I like this mentality. That's where I like that the cleaner aspect where you just focus on yourself. You don't give a fuck about who's in front of you. You're trying to outdo your last performance. You're trying to be better than you were the last time you stepped into the octagon. It doesn't matter who's in front of you. You're going to beat the shit out of them because they got to deal with you. That's what I really got from this book. That's the number one thing. That's what I got from this book is I want to try to, I don't know if I can teach it, but I want to instill that in every single athlete I work with, or at least try to get them to the point where they understand that thought process where you need to focus on yourself. And it doesn't really matter who's across from you. You need to be a better performer than the last time you stepped into the cage. Yeah. You kind of talked yourself into uh, my point there. Talked yourself into me agreeing with you because in the, in the first kind of quote that you brought up as far as, you know, what are they thinking? How are they feeling? Right. And you can do that. You can, that's a good little conditioning trick too. Right. When you're yeah. in the octagon or in between sparring rounds, it's like, man, I'm so tired. You know, it's like, yeah, but how tired are they? Right. That can give you a little bit better confidence too, but that's a secondary thought in my mind, right? Like that's like a, a little caveat that can help you feel a little bit better. But your first thought is about yourself. You know, your first thought yeah. is like, you know, I, I know I'm a dog, so I'm not worried about, you know, being nervous on the stage and yeah, the expectations are high, but I feel better because they're high because that means I'm somebody. Right. Yeah. Um, and the more I think about this kind of in the zone or this, like, quote unquote, cleaner mindset, the more I'm thankful for a really good high school coach that I had, Corey Christensen, who was my high school wrestling coach. Um, he has the same master's degree that I did in, in coaching research. Um, but he really enabled me to get into that mindset and really thinking, concentrate on myself, 
um, from that standpoint, because like you said, game plans are necessary, but they get to be a problem when we know too much about our opponents, right? We need to be more self-absorbed than that and think about what my process is. And yes, effectively plan for somebody in front of you, but don't obsess about what they do and how good they are at doing it because that almost like feeds the flame into the the fear and anxiety states of performance. Mm -hmm. So in my mind, the expectations are super high and I have the realistic confidence to um, rise to those expectations. And I'm thankful that the expectations are high because I know I'm a high performer and all this kind of positively loops itself into a better and more stable confident mindset versus, you know, the expectations are high. Holy shit. What if I can't match up to him? Why don't I think I can match up to him? Because I slacked and I, I didn't really take that drill as hard as I should have, or I skipped mm-hmm. that third strength and conditioning of the, of the, my fight camp. And that's still haunting me in my head. Like when you don't do the right things and you're not fully on the process, you know, that like mm-hmm. you subconsciously, whether you talk yourself out of it or what the bliss or that bullshit, like, you know, you're not on top of it. And so that's where I think the fear anxiety comes from is from being unprepared and having those second guesses in your head because you didn't do what you should have done right away, where that's, I think, a a really good benefit from this book and talking about cleaner mindsets, the consistency and the professionalism that cleaners do bring to the table. Because if I've done everything right and I've prepared myself, I know I'm in the absolute best shape that I can be. I know that I've done my due diligence and learning technique and having uh, the the right game plan, the right recipe for myself to win. Then I can be supremely confident in those high expectations and those uh, you know game breaker, make or break moments. Mm-hmm. Because I'm not thinking about what if, because I didn't do this thing. What if I'm thinking about, you know, I've done everything right. I'm fully equipped for this point. And then even if I don't make it, there's nothing more I could have done. And I'm not worried about that outcome either because I don't have anything to feel guilty about. I think the, the regret, the guilt, the, um, the, like the unconscious nature of knowing you're not giving your all plagues way too many athletes because they don't give it all. And they should feel like that. Yeah. Well, and that, that was one, that was actually a chapter in the book. It's cleaners make decisions, not suggestions right? They just do. And actually the chapter right after that was um, you don't love the work, but you're addicted to the results. You know, that kind of goes back to the first book we did. The one that you suggested that I, I fucking love too, was it just takes what it takes. You don't have to like what you do. Everybody's like, oh, love the grind, embrace the grind, love all that training. Nobody fucking loves a 30 minute grind match in wrestling. If they do, they're a fucking sociopath. Yeah. Like nobody loves that. But they love that that allows them to get their hand raised nine times out of 10. They, they love that that allows them to step into the octagon and feel prepared. They don't love the work. They love well, the results. And this is my take on that. I don't think anybody, you know, especially in amateur wrestling, um, loves wrestling or no. loves the grind, but they identify with it, right? This is a common place that I get to. That's your dark side right? That's mm-hmm. when we are across, that's your pain cave, right? Mm-hmm. Like you identify with, this is how hard I work and I'm a beast because of it. Or, um, you identify with, this is what I go through and I'm better for it. I don't love the minute of being in it, but I definitely sure as hell feel superior when I'm done with it. But I love the, I love the moment when I see that person across from me and their eyes just fucking break. I can see the moment that I broke that person because I did those three grind matches the last three weeks. I love that moment. I don't love the lead up of it. And nobody, I don't think anybody does exactly what you said, but 
these, these top performers, these high level performers and what I want to get my athletes to. And what you hope to train is the fact that they understand that this work sucks, but guess what? If you step into the cage, you got to do work anyways, you might as well put your all in, try to get as much out of it and then be addicted to winning so much that you want to step into that cage and be that high performer. You want to do the work because you love the winning. You love the result. Yeah. I, and I think loving the result is a big thing, but more than anything, like I think you love, and again, maybe this is just me, you know, subconsciously talking about imagery, but you love the superiority that comes with it. Not mm -hmm. just like I'm better than that guy, but like I've shown that I've put more work in than him. And yeah. it's, it's a, it's a great feeling that, you know, I've dominated and I know I've worked harder. I know I deserve this more. And now I can give you evidence of that based mm -hmm. on my performance. Like, um, one of the common things when I was wrestling, it was like, you know, and again, there's a few toxic things that come along with this, but like, don't celebrate, don't be happy after you win. That was what no. was expected. It was expected. Why would you be happy about that? Exactly. You know? Well, that was, that's why my walkout song was fucking Monday, Monday. It was just another yeah. day in the office. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's just another thing. It's just a match. We go out there, we win, we get our hand raised, we step off, we go back to work. Yeah. Which is, is another point that he frequently brought up in the book. Like you can spend a little bit of time celebrating, but you're all always already thinking about what's next, you know, mm -hmm. what's the next conquer. And I think that's, again, feeds into some poor life decisions, poor, you know, interactions talking about the dark side and some of the yeah. social problems that high level athletes have, but you're always thinking about what's the next conquest. What's the next thing that I need to beat, you know, for Michael Jordan, it was sitting in the locker room, enjoying the what fifth championship. It's like, all right, back to work for the sixth one, you yeah. know, like, like that's a mentality that I envy, but I also fucking don't because that's well, a lot a of work burden. It's a yeah, huge burden. That's a to big have. work burden, yeah. but that's what it takes. Unfortunately, <laughs> like, unfortunately that type of mentality is what it takes to be the elite of the elite, to be a legend. I don't think anybody that is at that upper echelon, granted, he's considered one of the greatest athletes ever in the history of sport, but even just to be the top zero, zero, one percent, that's the, that is the thought process you need to be at that point. It should yeah. be all consuming. And unfortunately other things have to give, but yeah. in order to be that person that little kids look up to, they're like, oh, I want to be Michael Jordan. That's the shit you got to do. <laughs> yeah. And and I think about it too. It's like, what are you willing to sacrifice in my eyes of it too? Like, you know, I don't know. Again, I don't know a whole lot of like cleaners or legendary athletes like personalized, but I know within my life, like when I got to my college days for wrestling, I wasn't willing to sacrifice yeah. every single fucking thing mm -hmm. to be great. And that's uh, two things. That's on the flip side. That's probably wasn't, I, well, oh, excuse me. That's probably why I wasn't a great college athlete, mm -hmm. but on the other side, it's like, that's probably why I'm successful in part of the things that I do now. So mm -hmm. it's a, it's a give and take, but like, are you willing to sacrifice, you know, not just, you know, not drinking alcohol and not just your Friday night to go train, but are you willing to do that? consistently and over and over and over and over again for something that might happen because i guarantee you there's athletes that have this yeah, cleaner sure. mindset and this relentless type of work ethic and this this everything they have all that dialed in but then they lose anyway mm -hmm. and that's like that's the the beauty and the risk of sport because overall this mentality this you know relentless this unstoppable you can use all the pretty words you want to put to it like that's only one stat bar, if you will. Yep. That's only one piece of the spider web that you're trying to fill out for everything. Like you can have this mentality locked in, but then your physical attributes come up short, or you can have this mentality locked in. And then, you know, 
you know, timing and circumstance of the fight don't work out, yep. things like that. So it's hard to say that this can make up for everything, which I think some people have that belief that like you have the right attitude, you work hard enough, everything else will fall into place. Like, right. Sometimes not. not. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes not. Like I mean, there's one, you know, could be even of for a reason. Yep. hundred percent. But that doesn't mean you don't try to make it work. At least to me, like, to me, I mean, I mean, you, you should have self-awareness, right? If you're getting fucked up in the gym by amateurs and you're a fucking five-year pro, well, guess what? I don't know if that meant, I don't know if that meant yeah. to, I don't know if you're meant to do that with your life, unfortunately. Yeah. But if you're good, it, it if you're good, if you're, if you're sitting, if you're a pretty good pro, maybe this is something you need to work on. Maybe it's, it's the mental side is what's lacking. Maybe it's the determination. Maybe it's what he talks about a lot of routines, exactly what you said, just giving up, like not drinking on the weekend and going to the gym and putting in long hours. That's just a routine. The more you do it, the more likely you're going to continue to do it. And that's an easy step you can make moving forward. That's going to help you with your mentality. As soon as you start doing that over and over again, you're not going to, you're a lot less likely to stop. Yeah. And I think that's where, again, like my overall synopsis of the book, like this is a good tool. Like it's going to give you the right mindset to pull out at the right time to have um, success in your training habits and, and maybe more laser pin focus your, your focus. But I don't know that it's an overarching sweeping, you know, fix all and Again, that's a hard standard for a book. I get it. But I think this is a good tool in your tool belt. I don't think this relentless, unstoppable mentality thing is going to be the cure for every athlete, which is somewhat that I I got that they were trying to sell it as. For sure. No, I don't. I don't think you can fix. I mean, some people you you just you can't fix. Right. Unfortunately, I think it's a good book. I think it's a good book for people to read. I would definitely recommend it. And what you get out of it, that's your own. That's that's on you. But yeah. I would recommend either reading or listening to it and and deciphering it for yourself because the the last quote I'll leave you guys with um, so we can do our wrap up is it's it's teaching you to trust yourself. That's another key point that he kept talking about in the book is is trusting yourself, trusting that cleaners trust that what they're doing is going to work. And sometimes mm-hmm. it doesn't work, unfortunately, to your point, Alex. Sometimes you could do all the right shit and you still fucking lose. But one quote that I want to leave you guys with is when you're great, you trust your instincts. When you're unstoppable, your instincts trust you, right? When you're unstoppable, you're able to just know that what you're doing is right. You have this like almost like feeling in your gut that you just fucking, you do things and it works. And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But those people that are unstoppable, those people that truly trust themselves end up on top the majority of the time, because that's really what leads to a lot of success is just self-confidence and self-trust and knowing what you're doing is right. Yeah. Which is kind of the point I spoke to earlier of like not leaving doubts or like doing the wrong thing. Like, I think that all comes from, we made a post about it way back when in our uh, mentality kind of coaching, like um, when you know, you have the right things, you have that previous accomplishment bias that I trust all the work that I put in because I've consistently and always been doing the right thing. And you can compare yourself to the others, but I I like that point earlier that you made too. Like, it's about you. It's not necessarily about them. So it's not like, you know, I did all the right things and he didn't. It's like, I did all the right things and I know I'm the best version of me for it. Yep. And when you, and when you trust yourself, you're more likely to put the extra work in when you trust yourself and you know that this is what you need to do. This is what you were put on earth to do. You're more likely to spend more time in the gym, to go to that extra course, to make yourself a better practitioner, to be in the, 
be coaching 80 hours a week. Like these top tier coaches do, unfortunately, but you're more likely to do those extra work, that extra work to get to the next level. So because you know that. It's that positive feedback loop. Yep. But so this is our book review on relentless um, by Tim Grover. I, like I said, I'd highly recommend checking it out and do your own, do your own little analysis on what the book can give to you. But with building a fighter, if you got to get in touch with us, all of our information is going to be in the show notes with our courses that are coming out. So we're, we're in the rough draft process of the course by 2023, we're definitely going to have our level one building a fighter course out there. So be on the lookout for that. We're going to have beta testers also that are going to be checking out. You guys know who you are. Um, also, if you need a program, we have seven programs that are building a fighter website, as well as a low back course on for people with a history of low back pain that want to strengthen up the low back. Those are all available at buildingafighter.com. And then as always, this is Dr. Austin Shane. It's Alex Freeman. And we are out. Out.